Blog Talk Radio. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. persons and welcome to our special Tuesday morning show. Got a very special guest today, Steve Ray. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me all right? I I hear you. Um good. Just had you you came in right under the wire so we had to get the switchboard set up real quick. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. If yesterday was our 47th wedding anniversary. So oh, that was a nice day, and today it's um, I'm doing great. Our grandkids are all coming over, and my daughter's going to have our grandbaby number twenty today. Wow, that's a lot of lot of blessings in the Ray family right now. That's that's wonderful yep. news. So yesterday, a celebration of our anniversary, and today, a continuing blessing of that marriage with grandbaby number twenty. <laughs> yeah, Very excited. That, that, that is that's wonderful stuff. So, um, it's no secret that our our world is in is in turmoil right now, and and our church is in turmoil right now in a lot of ways. And it's partly because of that that I made the decision that now is the time I need to make this uh, I need to make this this pilgrimage back to where it all started, back to what is the center of of our faith and, and what we believe in and what we're all about. And I'm I'm just so excited that I've made the commitment and now I'm I'm going to be going. I'm going to be doing it. And wanted to have you on to Steve, <laughs> I've lived kind of a sheltered life. This is not only my first trip out of the country, this is my first trip out of my own time zone. So Wow. Um, yeah. So Kind of, this is all going to be something new to me. Now, I do have to tell you something that I hope will not upset you. Sure. Uh, but we we have a lot of mutual friends, a lot of uh, you know friends that uh, that you know we we have on both of our pages, like William Hemsworth. I know you've been on his show many times. He's also a a member of our team and everything. We just had John Martinoni on. And yeah. and I hope and I hope it doesn't rub you the wrong way that he is an Alabama fan and I know you're from Ann Arbor so I, I hope it's not going to cause some friction. It uh, our relationship transcends all of that. Plus, I'll have to be honest with you, I don't have any time for football, so I don't even <laughs> know who's playing who and who wins until my son-in-law comes over and then he updates me on everything because he's really into it. Um, in fact, I was on a radio show last week, um, and they were in, it's in Ohio, and they were very much Buckeye fans. And so my son-in-law, he wanted me to 
get on the air with them. And he says, you get on that with Sacred Heart Radio, and I want you to say the first thing, go blue. So I did it for him. But other than that, I don't have much time for football. So uh, okay. John Martinoni, he's just fine as far as I'm concerned. I like the guy. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a he's a good guy, and it was a it was a wonderful show. So, so I want to kind of uh, get in the meat and potatoes of this. First of all, you're a man of many monikers. They they call you Jerusalem Jones. So, we're going to talk about two websites that you're affiliated with. One of them is the uh, uh, Footprints of God Pilgrimages dot com, and the other one is uh, Defenders yeah, of the Catholic Connor. Faith. Yeah, Catholic converts, defenders of the Catholic faith, um, and so I can see uh, you're you're very very busy. You're a man with many hats. So let's, let's talk about the 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 the, the first thing. I, I have known some people who have gone on some uh, some of these pilgrimages with you. Uh, I knew knew a couple of people that went on one of them with you years ago. And everybody that I talk to that goes on these kind of pilgrimages say it's it's just it's just life changing, it's life affirming. What what is it about this pilgrimage to the Holy Land that affects people so deeply? Yes, it does change people's lives, there's no doubt about it. And I'd also say that not all pilgrimages are created equal in the sense that um it depends a lot on the people you go with, uh, for example, my wife and I, we've been there over 200 times, and we've wow. led 100 groups, 100 groups we've led through the Holy Land. And we've used the same Roman Catholic Nazarene guide for every one of those trips. We're partners there, and he is a walking encyclopedia of the land and, and of the Bible. And him and I and my wife, we work together. And so we... I used to be a businessman too, John, and I, I know how to control, get everybody on the bus so we're always punctual on time. That's what people really appreciate. But um, it is, a we've taken thousands and thousands of people. And the reason that it's so life-changing, I'd have to say, is because you haven't been out of the country before. <clears throat> so let's take you for an example. We're going to take you out of your comfort zone. You're going to be away from all the people, family, friends, things that you're familiar with, your own cup of coffee every morning, if whatever it is. And we're going to take you to the other side of the planet. And Wait a minute. Now, hold on. You. Hold on just a second. Are you saying yeah. I can't have coffee on this pilgrimage? Is that what you're saying? Yes, but not the coffee you're used to. Not the <laughs> coffee machine. It's going to be a new coffee machine. And it's, and it's excellent coffee, by the way. The food okay. over there, right. people think they're going to go over there. They're going to lose weight. And they're going to go hungry, and it's going to be all of this kind of desert food or whatever. But really, what's the, going to the Holy Land is very elegant. The hotels we stay at are marvelous, and the food is unbelievable. You will the food that we give to you is the, the meals are unbelievable, and a whole wide assortment of different kind of foods, uh, Jewish foods and Arab foods and Druze foods, and uh, you're going to learn a lot of new things just about culture and languages mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take you out of your comfort zone over here and take you to the other side of the planet where it's, it's somewhat exotic for Americans to go there the first time. It's different. And they like being in a group that stays together. And we do. We have all our meals together. We stay together the whole time. Everybody feels very comfortable. Janet and I, my wife is like the mother hen. She's always making sure everybody's happy and together and, and all the needs are met, and it's it's a really a fun time. But what 
the reason that it's going to really change your life is one aspect. It's holy ground. It's not like in Rome. Rome is sacred. I make a distinction in my own mind between the Holy Land and other places. Mm-hmm. If you go to Rome, you're going to the place where Peter and Paul set up the church where the saints were martyred and all these wonderful things happened where the kind of the beginning of Christianity there. But it's God never walked there with his own feet. In Israel, we're going to take you in the land where God walked. Yeah. It's called holy ground. Remember when Moses came to the to the burning bush oh, yeah. and he heard the voice of God come out of the bush and he says, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Mm-hmm. Moses could have said, wait a minute, I would walk by here every day. These are the same rocks and the same dirt that was here yesterday. What makes it different now? God came down and he touched it. And whatever God touches, he yeah. sanctifies. And sanctifies means to make something holy. When you go to the Jordan River and you take water, and I'll tell you right now, when we go down there, bring a bottle, empty bottle of drinking water and fill it with that water and bring it home to use it for baptisms for family and friends and grandkids down the road. But you don't have to have the priest bless the water. Everybody says, Father, will you bless my Jordan River water? The priest will say, you don't need to bless that. It's perpetually blessed because right. Jesus stepped into that river. And so, right. so that water is always up. So you're going to be stepping on holy ground. You're going to be walking where God walked. Jesus was the second person of Trinity, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he walked in the places that John Benko is going to walk. Yeah. So that's what and, makes this special. And you can't go there, even if it's a lousy pilgrimage and you have a poor leader. You still, you still come home blessed because you touch the land that God touched. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have been thinking about it. None of this is, has escaped me. And we have one of our members on the switchboard. I'll bring him on in just a minute. Just so you know, we have one of our members on hold. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. It, it's, it's a mix of emotions, but it's a flood of emotions uh, in me right now because I'm filled with that, that excitement, that, um, joy of, of knowing that I'm going to be in the place where Jesus was born, but I'm also filled with the, almost a, you know, I don't know if fear is the right word, but it feels like fear. So maybe I'll use that word of the fear of the, of the awe of the experience of standing at the foot of the cross is just something that that's almost scary. How overwhelming, it, uh, you know, you, you bring up a good point because it, it, there is both aspects. It's, we are told that we are to fear the Lord. And when you come into his presence, you come into his presence with, with thanksgiving and with reverence. And, uh, and it is when you, one of the things that you realize is it's going to be hard for you to process everything while you're there. It's kind of like a hard drive on a computer going, you know, just trying to process it all because you're going to be hit with so many things in a row. For example, the day, that you go to the the tomb where Jesus was uh, dead and buried and rose again, you're also you're going to start that day by walking down the Via Della Rosa carrying a small cross in your hand, and we're going to pray oh. the Stations of the Cross. You're going to go up, and when we get to the church at 5 o'clock in the morning or 5.30 in the morning, because we go early so we miss the crowds. That's one of the things that we do. You'll go up and you'll touch under the altar the top of Calvary where the cross stood. And we'll tell you at that moment that when you reach down and touch that spot, John, if you did that 2,000 years ago, your hand would come up sticky with his blood. 
Now, how do you process that? How do you control the emotion or you think through all of that? I'll, I'll tell you how it happens to a lot of people. They start to cry. And they just weep and they said, this is where Jesus shed his blood for me. This is where I was redeemed. Jesus died right here. It's not like going to your local church and seeing the crucifix. This is the actual place where it happened. And then I, from there, I, we go to mass at the tomb. I'm literally shaking. I'm literally shaking sitting in front of my computer thinking about it. Yeah, so well, you'll, I you'll shake there too. But, but remember this, that I make a movie of the trip. And so mm-hmm. everything that we do, it's going to be in a two-hour movie for you when you get back home. It's a very nice edited movie uh, with music and aerials and everything. And so you'll be able to kind of relive it by looking at the movie. But a lot of, I've had a lot of people say the favorite part of the pilgrimage for them was when they got home and were able to read the scriptures and to process everything that they saw there. That yeah. is what makes it real to them is when they can actually see all of that. So... <clears throat> That is one of the big aspects. But, but you, you have the right um, attitude because even it says, you know, come to God with fear and trembling. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I'll tell you one story. A guy came, this was probably five years ago, and he told me at the first day, he says, Steve, I want you to know that I, I don't really want to be here. I'm here because my wife went fishing for two weeks with me last year, and the deal was I'd, she'd go fishing with me if I'd go to the Holy Land with her. He said, so I'm really not interested in being here, but I'm here for her. I said, that's okay. The land will get you. Well, the third day in, we had mass at Capernaum. And Capernaum is the place where Jesus lived. And in the synagogue, which is right there, he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. These words Jesus spoke in the synagogue at Capernaum. And that's where we have mass. The guy came out of there after the mass. And he said, Steve, and he had tears running down his cheeks. And he said, Steve, I'm not a reluctant pilgrim anymore. I just realized where I am. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you talk about people coming home um, and, and reading the scriptures. And that's, and that's something I'm definitely going to ponder. But the, the, the thing that's been going through my mind is that every time that I say the rosary, it's not. It's not going to be the same again. What we're going to do for you is on the way there, we provide rosaries that are olive wood rosaries made from Bethlehem by the nuns there, and they are with olive wood from Bethlehem. And you, we sell them. By, we can't give them away because they're they're very nice ones. They're thirty dollars for a dozen, but we bring lots of them on, and people buy multiple dozens so they can take them back as gifts for their friends. But we take those rosaries and we touch them on all the holy sites. We put them at the base of the altar at Mass, at all of these sites like Beatitudes and, and Capernaum and um, just the, the, in Nazareth where the angel said to Mary, um, Hail Mary, full of grace. We're at the very place there. And by the way, when we're there, where the angel spoke to Mary and she became pregnant at that moment, the altar under, in the grotto under the church said the word became flesh here. And we're going to have those rosaries for you so that you can touch them at all the holy places. And we pray the mysteries of the rosary where they happened. Now, we don't pray the whole mystery of the rosary. 
at the Beatitudes where we pray for the proclamation of the kingdom. But that's where Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, the longest sermon he had, three chapters in Matthew. And we're going to pray that mystery there. So when you come home and you pray the mystery with this rosary that came from the Holy Land and was blessed over there, you're going to remember because you were in every one of those sites when you prayed it and you'll now relive that. And the rosary comes alive for you. Well, I just got to believe, you know, part of praying the rosary is the meditating. <laughs> it's really going to help with the meditating part because I'm oh, going to yeah. be able to close my eyes and see the, the place where the nativity took place, the yeah. place where the angels appeared, the, the, the place uh, of the Annunciation, just like you said. Let me bring my uh, my good friend R- Richard on. Richard, you're on with uh, Steve Ray. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Steve. It's an honor to talk to you today. Hello, Richard. So, um, I mean, <laughs> well, I, I, there's so much to talk about. I, I don't even hardly know where, where to start. So, um, what, are, what, are, what are some of the practical questions that you get for somebody like me who's a first-timer? I mean, I, I, am I going to be able to plug my cell phone in over there? You know, I think about things like that. I don't even know how to process things like that. How does, how does the money work? Do I got to exchange money uh, uh, all you know, for first stuff, like me. All of that stuff is easy because we'll send you before you come weeks before we'll send you a packet and then there's a booklet which tells you everything you need to know about the money. You don't need to change money in Israel because they use dollars over there. The, the official money is shekels. You can use shekels, but if you change your money, you lose uh, in the, uh, the conversion rates. So you just bring dollars. You'll only need a few shekel coins to use bathrooms periodically where they some places charge for toilets. But you can use dollars everywhere. You can use credit cards or ATM cards to get money. So that's no issue. So it's very easy. Cell phones, you just talk to your provider, tell them you're going to be overseas for two weeks. They'll set it up for you so that you can use your cell phone over there. I can call from Israel as easy as I can call from my house. I was so, asking the question more as in how do I plug it in, the, the power. The, is it 120 over there, or do you have to do no, a converter? Or? It's 240, uh, 220, but, the, uh, you just, but all the electronic devices today, like phones and cameras and whatever you have, they're all dual voltage. So in the old days when I started, you had to have this big box called a converter where it would convert the 220 down to 110 for our appliances, but not anymore. Everything that you have, you just check the – you just check the plug-in thing, and it'll say 110 to 240 dual voltage. All you got to do is oh. just plug it in like you do here, and it automatically drops it down. But you do have to have a different kind of plug. And that'll all will explain all that to you well before you come. We have two flat prongs. They have two round prongs. But it's very simple. You just plug the two round prongs into your flat prongs and plug them into the wall. Mm-hmm. And what, what airport do we fly out of in New York? Uh, JFK. We usually fly out of JFK on usually Delta or Lufthansa. And it's usually like an overnight flight? Yep. So I have to work out the logistics of all that, of getting from Virginia to New York. and But like you said, it's, there, there's there's plenty of time. Steve, before... Yep. Uh, before and our before travel that, agent helps you with all that. All of that, everything is taken care of for you. They'll help you right. with all of that. Before I go back to Richard, I just want to ask you one more question because this to me is just – it's such a contrast to me 
when when I, I read things that just break my heart about Catholics, but two-thirds of Catholics in the United States don't even believe in the real presence. And And I'm going to go back to the place where the real presence stood, where he walked. Um, yep. Talk, talk about the con- contrast of this disconnect between between uh, you know Catholics who are authentically living and practicing the faith and and those who are in some other realm uh, that I, I can't well, even explain. It, it, I think it's kind of easy to explain. In our culture, we have become very secular and we deny miracles. We pretty much are a scientific world now it says science is in control of everything and and miracles don't really happen and even too many in the church have this sense or this feeling but the reality is is that god is outside of this world and he can step in and do things miraculously anytime that he wants to when you have the concept that there's a real god who really exists and he acts in his world that he created and that he can answer prayer and he can do things in this world, then you have a different perspective. But most of the people today get their information and their worldview from television and movies and their workplace, and they don't get it from scripture tradition and the understanding that God exists and wants to act in our world today. When you're over there, you nobody comes home, I don't think, at least from our groups, maybe from other groups, but from our groups, nobody comes home doubting the real presence. In fact, at Capernaum, where Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, I give a 30-minute talk there at that synagogue called Defending the Eucharist. And everybody goes out of there without a doubt knowing that Jesus really is in the presence in the Eucharist and it really is a sacrifice. So yeah. when you're there, what I, like I said, you're taken out of your comfort zone. You're taken away from America where this whole secular mindset has set in and controls everyone pretty much. And you're over there now in a world where people tend to be much more religious and you're visiting the sites and you, you sense the sacred. You have a, the sacred reaches out and touches you and you, uh, you understand what really happened there. When you come home, you're a true believer. Yeah. Well, for me and Richard, and, and I'm gonna, I'm going to go to Richard here in just a second. But for me and Richard, we're we're there already. We're we're fully in, fully immersed, uh, absolute, um, you know, passionate Catholics. So yep. you know, for me, for me, the the opposite is the problem. For me, it's it's I'm so fully aware of what I'm going to be confronting and what I'm going it. There's, there's almost an intimidation. Uh, it's like staring <laughs> into the sun. You know, you can't yeah. stare into the sun, but for a couple of... So I know who it is that I'm going to be approaching. When I go to Mass and I stand in that communion line, I know it's not a what, it's a who. And, yep. um, and, I, and I'm aware of that. And, and so, so going to these holy places that were trod by the footsteps of our Lord himself is... is emotionally overwhelming to me even now 11 months you know away from it so richard i want to go to you with uh, your comments or questions well first of all i wish i could afford to go and if anybody out there wants to sponsor me feel free um <laughs> you know other than that um you know, I'm not starstruck, but I'm certainly honored, as I said earlier, to be talking to you, Steve. You are the original Catholic defender. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, 
I'm certainly not the original one because uh, they they were there in the first century and gave their lives for Jesus. I haven't been put in a position of becoming a martyr yet as a real okay. witness. You know the word witness when Jesus said, "You will be my witnesses," and before he went up to heaven, the word witness there is martus, martyr. <laughs> so you will be my witnesses. Some of you with your lips, and some of you with your blood. So, but I'm honored to talk to you, Richard, and I'm I'm just excited to be a Catholic. It's been 30 years now. It'll be 30 years in May that my wife and I became Catholic. I still feel like a new Catholic most of the time, and it's an honor to talk to you as well. Well, well I'll I, tell I you, I have awful, <coughs> I have an awful lot of respect for converts because converts usually have a much better understanding of the faith and usually believe it a whole lot better than cradle Catholics. Mm. But let me return the favor. And I, I respect cradle Catholics because see, I was for the first 40 years of my life, an evangelical Protestant, and I still don't think like a Catholic in practical ways. I still forget to dip my finger in holy water and cross myself. I forget to genuflect when I sit down at mass because I still, in some ways, I was, I'm still, uh, you guys, you were raised with the traditions, with the prayers, with what you're supposed to do. So it's in the marrow of your bones. I don't have that yet. So I admire Catholics who were cradle Catholics who stuck with it even through the difficult years of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And they're still their believers. I have great respect for them. And they are Catholic from the inside out. I'm still trying to learn the practices of Catholicism and make it part of my daily life. So I think we can, well, I can say that I have as much respect for you. Let me, let me fire well, two things at you real quick. Uh, uh, if, if, is, is it okay, Rich, Richard, if I uh, fire two things at him real quick and then I go back to you? Absolutely. Okay. So the first thing is um, that I would say I, I'm a cradle Catholic, but um, my family was um, uh, nominal at best, at least in, in, in teaching the faith. Um, I, I don't think I saw my father actually outwardly teach me anything in the faith, and, and, and my, my mom only, you know, occasionally from time to time, as far as, as, far as the doctrines of the faith. Right. But what I what I learned from my family and what people have asked me, give me one thing. If if you're only allowed to give one thing that you say that shows Catholicism as the fullness or truth over the other uh, brands of, of Christianity. My answer that I got from my parents, from my family, was that ours is the only thing the only faith that makes sense of suffering. Yeah. And the thing that I learned from my parents is they got knocked down and they got back up and they got knocked down and they got back up and they got knocked down and they got back up. And I never seen a family go through so much as my mom and dad did. And unfortunately it's been repeated in my own life since then. Uh, and you know, you have all these temptations to discouragement. You have all these temptations to reject God, to blame God, to be angry at God, or or you project it outward at other people. And our faith is the only faith that makes sense of suffering as as redemptive, redempting, as co- uh, cooperating 
with God's work of redemption. Uh, you don't see that in, in, in other faiths. So that's the testimony as they gave to me. The second thing I wanted to fire at you, unrelated, but while it's on my mind, I wanted to get it out there. You said there's going to be a, a, a two-hour video, and uh, we are uh, an official 501c3 charity recognized by the, by the federal government. But I want to make sure that we don't cross any legal or ethical or moral boundaries. So will it be made clear to us what we can and cannot use on our own ministry or apostolate? Or, I don't want to do anything that's improper. So will that be Oh, no, this is a gift up? for you guys. You can, you could, uh, in our video, we, we give these to people so that they can share them with their family and friends. And a lot of people, what they do is they come home and the family gets together for Christmas and they say, look, I want you, I want to share our trip with you. It's a two hour video and it's nicely done. It's a, it's a fun video. It's good. I, I take good pictures and movies. I don't mind saying I, I'm a video and movie producer as well as a pilgrimage leader. So we make good movies and you can show them to your family and friends. I don't care. You can do whatever you want with them. It has nothing to do with your tax exempt status. So that that is a gift that we give to you. You can make copies of it and share it around with people if you want to. That's okay. perfectly okay with me. I'm the one that owns the copyright form, and I give you permission to do what you want as long as it's not detrimental uh, to us. But um, and then go back to the what you said about the suffering. You're right because as a Protestant, we we had no concept of of redemptive suffering. We just complained when we suffered, and when we became Catholics, that's a whole new thing. I'm still learning about how God allows us to share in his suffering and, uh, and it's redemptive for us and for, for the rest of the kingdom of God. So that's, that is all a new aspect for us too. It, it, but you talked about suffering that it's redemptive, but Cat, the Catholic church also has a very good reason why we have suffering in the world because it understands the fall of man and man rebelled against God and brought this upon himself. And so it brought suffering into the world because we as a race have rebelled against God and he's remedying that as well. I love C.S. Lewis's comment that the great king has dropped in behind enemy lines and he <laughs> is now starting a great, a great a movement, a sabotage movement to take the world back away from the God of this world who captured it in the Garden of Eden and to recapture it for the real king. Yeah, I, I like the analogy that, that he basically took the club that the devil was using against us and took the club from the devil and beat him with his own club. So, yeah, uh, that's right. So uh, back, back to Richard. Richard, I'm sorry, I cut you off just a minute ago. The floor is yours. Well, you know, the thing about the Catholic faith that's still to this day absolutely mesmerizes me is the sacrament of reconciliation and the understanding that I can go out here and do stupid mistakes like cuss, um, like express anger, and I can go and get absolution for that. And that yep. just to this day, amazes and mesmerizes me. I mean, I, yep. I go to confession once a week. It's a good practice. You know, it is amazing. I and God is very forgiving. Um, I don't think that if I was God, I would be as forgiving as he is. 
And I love the sacrament of reconciliation as well. And uh, we never had it as Protestants, but we human beings, uh, when we don't have the reconciliation, like those outside the church, they still need to hear those words. They still need to talk to somebody about their problems. And they spend thousands of dollars on psychotherapists and on counselors and going to sociologists and psychologists and all of their different forms. And I know a lot of people have spent a fortune doing that. And those people may be able to help you understand certain things, but they cannot give you the divine grace and the mm-hmm. understanding from a supernatural, nor can they absolve your sins. And that's what's you know, beautiful. And, the, and you don't have to pay, do you? It doesn't cost you thousands of dollars. Their sacrament of reconciliation is a completely free gift of God. Well, Steve, since you opened up that Pandora's box, let let me respond to that directly. Um, Have I had a chance to tell you where we got the name of our ministry, the four persons? Uh, You did tell me about giving your whole soul, mind, heart, and strength to God. Yes. So that came to me from a a Catholic counselor. Um, And and I'm just going to bare my soul and and tell you what what happened. Um, We had to put a – we had to – send a family member to prison for 20 years. We, we mm. went through some horrible, horrible, awful stuff. Um, and, you know, the, the question was whether my daughter, who was 19 at the time, was going to, whether we were going to go to court and have my daughter testify against this monster or whether or not we were just going to accept the plea deal. And I was agonizing over this because I told my counselor, I said, I can't put her on the stand. What, what am I going to do here? And, and she, said, she said, yes, John, you have to stop this. You have to do whatever you have to do to stop this. And, and I said, Noni, I, I don't know what to do. She's 19 years old. She's an adult. And she said, John, physically, she's 19 years old. Right. Emotionally, she's not. She said, you need to understand that each of us are four persons. And she explained to me the physical person, the mental person, the emotional person, and the spiritual person, how they all have to be healthy. And that emotionally, she was still that shattered 10-year-old kid that yeah. she was when the crimes happened. Right. And um, I tried to process what she was teaching me and if you ever opened up your bible one day that you just say i'm going to open it up to wherever it opens up to and (laughs) and that's what i did and i opened up to mark chapter 12 and read the greatest commandment is you shall love the lord your god with your whole heart your whole mind your whole soul and your whole strength now i don't know if you believe in coincidences that wasn't a coincidence there's no way in this world that was a coincidence when you talk about miracles that was a miracle. That was God speaking to me, telling me, you need to understand this concept that if you're not healthy emotionally, you're not healthy mentally, okay, it's going to affect the other aspect. And, and you yep. just talked about this. The modern counseling profession has gotten off the rails because a large segment of the modern counseling profession wants to pretend that we are mental and physical and nothing else, that the spiritual and the emotional are not part of the human person. Well, when you divorce the heart and the soul from what a person is, you cease to be able to treat that person, to help that person, because like you said, divine grace is, is part of that healing. Forgiveness is part of that healing. 
it can't all be done by therapy and medicine. Yep. And too often today, the, the therapist blames the parents and uh, it tries to take the onus away from the actual person and say, you did this or you're like this because of your parents and because of the way that they treated you. But the reality is, is that we have to take responsibility for our own actions. And that's what going to confession does is it's a way of saying, I'm guilty. I'm coming to God and I'm going to be right. healed. I always tell people, this is funny when I give my conferences and so on, that I really hate the sacrament of confession. And because I, you know, we have our pride. You don't like to go in and tell somebody face to face, especially all the stupid, dumb things that you've done or thought. And um, I don't like doing that. And I even mm -hmm. jokingly say, I go to a thesaurus and try to look up words that make what I did not sound so bad, come up with different words for them. But the reality is, is that there's nothing I love more than confession. Because after I go in and humble myself, in front of God and his priest and confess the sins, I come out of there feeling like I just took a shower. I come out of yeah. there feeling like I'm brand new and I'm clean. And so as much as I don't like the humiliation <laughs> going in and talking to a priest like that, I love it. In fact, that's what we're going to do this Saturday um, because I, I'd always would come out feeling so wonderful from it. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's one area where I've, Yes, my life has become completely and totally transformed. Um, uh, you know, if, if I'm unfortunate uh, enough to, to, to stumble and fall and uh, say some unkind word to somebody or, or you know, whatever, you know, the human condition, the things that we fall into, I, I used to be like you. I used to be, I, I can't believe I messed up again. I, I, and I used to <laughs> yeah. dread I used to dread confession, but now it's, yeah. it's I, I I can't wait to get to the mercy seat. Yeah. I, it's it's like I'm being rescued. It's like I'm it's like I'm I'm drowning in the water and 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 uh, I can't wait to get to the life preserver yeah. so I can get up out of the water. Uh, so. You know, I, I I got coming back to pilgrimages, John. You're the kind of guy I really like to take on a pilgrimage, and um, you can the priests know they they do confession anytime along the way. They bring their um, all their um, with them, and they have their bag with all putting uh, their albs on for the mass and everything else. And then you just stop them along the way and say, you know, Father, I really like to. Uh, since we have a few minutes here, could you hear my confession? And the priests love doing that along a trip. The two kind of people I love coming on a pilgrimage are people like you who just. Uh, I'll put it this way: People ask me, "You've led a hundred groups through the Holy Land." Doesn't it ever old? Aren't you tired of it? And I say no because I get to see it for the first time again through your eyes. So mm. when I'm there, That's I'll be beautiful. enjoying your reactions. And it'll be exciting for my wife and I and our guide, Amr. His name is Amr Shahada. He's from Nazareth. To watch you and to see how it impacts you and to see the tears in your eyes. The other kind of people I like to bring are skeptics because I've got them for seven and a half days. And usually <laughs> the skeptic or the Protestant goes home radically changed. I pretty much 75% of the Protestants who come with us, and they usually come as a, a husband as a Catholic and brings his Protestant wife. I don't have Protestants joining our group because they know it's very Catholic, but there's often a mixed marriage. And I would say that probably 75% of the Protestants are Catholics by the time they go home. Yeah, that's wild. That is that is so wonderful. Well, I, I want to tell you a personal. Um, so 
I started this apostolate um, months ago. We started doing radio shows this year. Now, I had started a previous apostolate on Blog Talk Radio like 14 years ago, and it since has been overtaken by other people, and I'm not going to get into all that uh, except for one thing. Um, about 12 years ago, two of the members of our group went on a pilgrimage with you to the Holy Land. Um, and after it was over, all they did was fight. And I was so outraged. I was so hurt by that because I was like, you've had this life-changing experience. And, 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 all, and all I got was, yeah, but it's his fault. Yeah, but it's, I don't care whose fault it is. Don't care. You walked in the steps that Jesus walked in. You you knelt by the place where Mary laid him in his in, in his in the in the manger. I I can't everything to me would just be is going to be so small after that. It's going to be yep. so. Yep. <clears throat> you're right. What what is the date that you're going with us? I'm going on, on a trip in November. Okay. Um, I just want to make a point since we're talking about this in November and December, actually December of 2023, it seems like a funny time to be talking about going on a pilgrimage to Israel because of the war that's going on over there right now. Yeah. But I, yeah. I just want you to know that the it, things are go in cycles over there, and this will come to an end. I, I would predict it's not going to last a whole lot longer. Hopefully that's the case. And in the 30 years, my wife and I have been going to Israel, to the Holy Land. And by the way, we've not just gone to Israel. We've also gone to Iraq and Turkey and Syria mm -hmm. and Egypt and Jordan and all those other countries multiple times, too. But the, it, it's cyclical in the sense that there's fighting and then it calms down. And as soon as it's off the media, the media has a fetish with Israel for some reason. It's wall-to-wall -wall coverage. It's only a yeah. small country. You know, it's it's so small. It's only eight thousand square miles. It's the size of New Jersey, and yet right. it, it it the the preponderance of the news is about Israel. Once it's off the news, Americans will forget and they'll all flood back to the holy sites again. That's just the way it and, is. So, by and, the I, time and I remember, lived in New Jersey. I yeah, lived in New so Jersey you know for six years, is. so I can make the reference. Yeah. Yeah, that's the size of Israel. Is the size of New Jersey. So yeah. we. We have trips going in February, two in May, and some in September. So we've got a lot of trips going between now and when you go. And uh, we're hoping that our February trip goes. But we'll, we'll see. Um, if not, we're just moving them forward, and we'll still take all these folks at just at a later date. But uh, don't worry about Israel. It's a very – it sounds silly to say this now, but it's a very safe place to go. The thousands of people we take always say that they feel perfectly safe while they're there. And even the fighting going on now is near Gaza, and that's all down south by Egypt. It has nothing to do with Jerusalem and Galilee where we're going to be. So uh, I wouldn't hesitate myself to go over there right now um, to the sites that we go to. But I know that, the, uh, that it's not possible with groups, but we'll, we'll get back to it again, and I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I'm, I'm not concerned in the least, Steve. So I, I just yeah. want to tell you, I want to – I want your permission to send you something. I'll send it to you off the air if, if you'll allow me to. Sure. Uh, with this with this other apostolate that I was uh, a member of, and, and this was maybe 11 years ago, 12 years ago, 
every year we we heard this this debate that goes on about was Jesus really born on in December on December 25th blah 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 so me and and a few friends decided you know what I I want to know and I'm willing to follow the evidence wherever the evidence leads so if the evidence shows that Jesus was born on May the 17th well then that's fine with me but I but I want to know I want to know the answer to this question and we just released an updated version of this. And the case for December 25th is not just strong. It's staggeringly strong. It's airtight strong. I mean, you can place Quirinius there governing Syria. And you can place the death of Herod the Great and, and the movement of the star. And all of the pieces fit. And it just I mean, you know, even when I hear, I, I just chuckle when I hear people say, well, you know, it's too cold. It's it, that the sheep couldn't have been grazing in the field. It's That's 70 the degrees argument. in Bethlehem. Okay. Well, I wrote an, I wrote an article on my blog called five biblical myths debunked. And yeah. one of them is that when you're there in November, that's pretty much getting to, to, to uh, winter. You'll see sheep out in the fields. I mean, sheep have to eat. So they, yeah. I've been, when people say it's too cold to take sheep out into the fields in December, I say, you've never been there, have you? You've never been to Bethlehem in December or January. Where are you from? From Minnesota, where it's uh, 30 degrees below zero? I said, in, in Bethlehem, during no, December or January, there's times you don't even need to wear your jacket. And yeah. it's, it's, it's much more clement much more moderate than and then north in the united states so yeah there's sheep out there eating in december and january they've got to eat and there's caves they stay in at night so when someone says that it's too cold in december i just my first question is you've never been there have you <laughs> right well i think you'll like what we put together it's very good. Very, very good so quality. Email, i'll give you my address and you can mail it over to me is it the email that you emailed me before yep, yep. okay uh, you already I'll, got it yep I'll send it there. It's a three-part video production. It's 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 HD quality. It's 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 very well done. Um, I think I think you'll enjoy it. But the the point that I was trying to get to, not that I'm trying to plug our own stuff, although I am trying to plug our own stuff. <laughs> but the point that I was trying to get to is knowing that that this really happened December 25th. So. It just makes the whole thing, the whole birth of Jesus, just that much more real because we can assign a real date to it. It just that adds to the experience, doesn't it, for the pilgrims? Oh, it does. People say, well, it really doesn't matter if this is the actual place or not. It's just our faith that counts. Well, I I, I don't like that attitude because I it is important that it's placed in real space and time. This the the gospel of Jesus Christ is not. Once upon a time in a land far away, right. it really happened. It really happened on a certain date, and it really happened in a certain place. And that's what gives Christianity its credibility because it's rooted in history and in time. Somebody said to me once, you know, I, I have no real problem with your creed, your Nicene creed. The only problem I have is with you mentioning Pontius Pilate because it looks like you're trying to root your faith in real history. And I laugh and said, yeah, that's because it is rooted in real history. God came right. down at the fullness of time. Galatians chapter four, verse four said in the fullness of time, God sent his son. 
born of a woman, born under the law. This all is related not to some super spiritual fairy tale myth. It's real space and real time, and it really happened. And the more we know about the actual places and the times, the more authentic we can make it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I, I, that brings up, you bring up a good point. I think Richard could probably speak to this, too, from his experience. But I've noticed something happening in Protestantism lately that's a little bit of a change from when I grew up. Um, and that is that there are larger and larger factions of Protestantism that are moving in one direction or the other. And that is the direction that diminishes Jesus' divinity. In fact, there are, there are segments of Protestantism that are actually moving towards almost being non-Trinitarian. Uh, saying, uh, like, for instance, that, 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 well, Mary only gave birth to the human Jesus, or it was only the human Jesus that died on the cross. And so they diminish, they diminish his divinity. Uh, and then there's the other segment that's moving in the opposite direction that makes, that diminishes his humanity and makes all, all God is just so unapproachable that, that, that it's almost like he was God that, you know, he put on a human suit. And he, he was kind of going through the motions, but he wasn't really human. Uh, they don't say that expressly. I'm just saying that's the consequences of kind of the the, the new doctrines. Are, are you seeing that kind of that rift, that kind of split? Uh, I haven't paid really? much attention. I haven't paid much attention to Protestantism, to be honest with you. There's so many other things to think about, but those are. It doesn't surprise me at all because those are the two great directions that the heresies went in the first six centuries of the church. Almost all of the heresies of the first six centuries addressed by the councils, the ecumenical councils of the church, were that it it denied the divinity of Christ or it denied the humanity. It's easy to say that he was God and not man. It's easy to say he was man and not God, but it's very difficult to fuse the two together in the hypostatic union and say that he was both God and man, and that is the truth. And and it's always the tendency of people to fall off the horse on one side or the other. It's very difficult to stay on the horse for the whole trip. (laughs) That's what the Catholic Church has done. Yeah, me and uh, one of our other apologists, Luke Haskell, have been doing this special on the Gospel of Matthew, and we did part 12 last night. And, And one of the things we got into is just this, just this thing that you're talking about, and I think a sense of it is that people fall into believing what they can comprehend. Uh, if they can't get their mind around it, it's not true. And I, when human beings try to get their mind around the Trinity or eternity or something, you, you can state it, you can believe it, you can explain it. There is no way that you can comprehend a creature giving birth to her own creator. The human mind isn't big enough to to to, to internalize that. So, right, uh, and, and that we can understand truly, but we can never understand exhaustively. I like to put it that way. We we understand the truth of the of the Catholic, um, the truth of Catholicism and of Christian faith. We understand the truth of it and we believe it. We'll never understand the We'll never have an infinite understanding of it all, but we can grasp it and understand it based on. That's why we have reason and faith, because right. faith can help us even beyond where our reason can go. 
Richard, let me go to you with this one. Uh, St. Augustine talked about a dream that he had uh, of a, a vision of a little boy who end, ended up being Jesus. And, and the vision was where, the, where um, the, the attempt was to pour the entire ocean into a hole in the sand. And when, you know, Augustine tells the little boy, you can't do that. It's impossible. Then the little boy reveals himself as Jesus and says, it is the same for you to try and comprehend the, the Trinity. Isn't, isn't it like that, Richard? Yes. I use that example a lot, especially when I give my talks on the Eucharist. <clears throat> and I, the, the little boy is trying to get the whole ocean into his little hole that he dug with his shell. And Augustine says, Lord, boy, look at the ocean. It's, it's vast and, and endless. There's no way you can put all that into your little uh, hole. And he had been thinking on the Trinity. Think, 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 trying to understand all the depth of the Trinity. And the little boy says, sir, I know I can't get all the water in my little hole, but neither can you get all the mysteries and the infinity of God into your little head. Yeah. Well, That's where it you takes. Know, we understand that God, we have to trust God. He tells us things we believe in, even if it goes contrary to our senses. Our senses lie to us all the time. Are there angels? Yes. Have you ever seen an angel? No. And most people have never seen an angel. So how do they know they exist? Because God tells them they exist in Scripture. Okay, I believe there's right. angels, even though I've never seen one. It's the same with everything else in Christianity. Right. Right. I can't see I've air. seen an angel. I've seen an angel. Yeah, a few people have, but most haven't. And they still. But I've believe. seen one. I know they. Ex- I have a picture of one actually. Okay. Yep. I took a picture in the sky, and there was an angel in the picture. And there's been, you know, lots of people that have had, you know, those kinds of, you know, those kinds of experiences. But like Steve said, most of us have have, have not. Um, and but. You and know, we've had. We have Eucharistic miracles, too, but not yeah. everybody sees them, and not every Mass you see a Eucharistic miracle, although a miracle takes place. Uh, you know, you brought up this, this one more thing that I want to address before you go, because this is, I think, very, very important. When we when we talk about private revelations, um, you know, our church has had private revelations since day one, and, and you know, they're they're uh, an important part of what we believe, but people got to be very, very careful with private revelations, especially when the church comes in and says, this is false. This is condemned. Do not follow this. Do not believe that. And and we have a, a faction of our Catholic faith that just wants to go running after every purported revelation and and false miracle that there is, and it's very dangerous, right, Steve? I mean, uh, you know, the devil is going to ape the real miracles with his own little false concoctions. The Bible tells us that, right? Yes. Uh, he's going to appear as an angel of light to deceive us. Yep. Yeah, just, it's, I always, I'm very skeptical about um, a lot of the private revelations that people have. I, I believe they happen, and I love Lords and Fatima. By the way, this next year in 2024, because we've lost some trips to Israel, we've added trips to Lourdes and Fatima, to Ireland, to St. Augustine, Florida, where Catholicism came, and to the shrines of Wisconsin with Cardinal Burke. But um, so I am fully in agreement with, and, and we go to Guadalupe in Mexico too. But I'm I'm leery of today. There's all kinds of people saying they're hearing this and they're seeing that. 
And I'm, I'm hesitant. I, you know, I don't give it a whole lot of credence. The ones that the church approves, I take my groups there. The ones the church hasn't approved, we give little credit to. Well, that's that's the Catholic position, Steve. And yep. and uh, exactly. yeah, I, I've had I've had arguments with 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 so-called Catholics um, who openly promote not just the ones that aren't approved, but the ones that have been condemned, <laughs> the ones yep. that church. The church has given official negative judgments on, well, you know, that's just their opinion. What? <laughs> the church says, what I have a problem with, John, what I have a problem with is people that run all over the world trying to find the word of God. They've got the word of God sitting right on their coffee table. It's called Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, yeah. Ruth, all the way through. They've got the word of God that they know is the word of God sitting on their table and it's collecting dust while they run around trying to find what they hope is the word of God. I find it much more, much more sanity to sitting home and reading scripture and letting the Holy Spirit work in my life through the scripture, which I know is the word of God, than running all over the world looking for the latest voice. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, I just, I, I, I can't agree with you more. And, and just, um, it, you know, to me, it, it, it's just the paradoxical thing about it is, is uh, the, the more, the more that you go through struggles in life, and the more that you realize that this world doesn't offer what we're ultimately looking for the closer and closer you get to the real truth and the, and the, and the, and the, and the love, that's when the love of God really explodes in your heart. It becomes an explosion. It becomes real. It becomes genuine. It becomes passionate. Um, Cause you really understand who God is and you really understand how desolate this place is and how lost we are without him. And the, and the longing for him just burns in your heart in a way that's real where it was, it was text on a page. Now it's life. When, when, and let me when, just expand on that a bit. We, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written in black and white for us. But we call, and I didn't come up with this, Pope Paul VI, I think was. He was the first pope that ever came to the Holy Land. In other words, when Peter, the first pope, left and went to Rome, the first successor to ever come back was 2,000 years later. It was, John, it was Paul VI. So he's the first successor of Peter to ever come back to the land of Peter. And he said that the Holy Land is the fifth gospel, gospel number five. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in black and white, when you go to the Holy Land, it all of a sudden they pop out a widescreen technicolor because that land is the fifth gospel and it brings light to the other four and really helps you. When we're there, what I want to introduce you to is, is here you have a good idea of Jesus being God. We defend that all the time. But when we're there, I want you to meet Jesus, the real man, and what his life was like. We know Mary is the Immaculate Conception, the Queen of Heaven, and all of this with her beautiful blue robes. But when we're there in Nazareth, I want you to meet the little Jewish girl who's 15 years old with camel dung between her toes and flies buzzing around her head. The real Mary that walked on the streets of Nazareth 2,000 years ago in her bare feet. So my goal... And taking you to the Holy Land is to introduce you to the fifth gospel to help you to understand Mary the way she really was as a, as a Jewish girl living 2,000 years ago in a cave, very rustic, with no running water or plumbing, and yeah. meet her in her real life. And then it'll help you understand her spiritual reality even more. 
You know, I read um, there. There's two works that I read that a lot of people don't realize that um, were very important to Mel Gibson's the, the Passion of the Christ, uh, where he kind of filled in all those scenes that are not in the Gospels, and that is the the Anne Catherine work. Emmerich. Yeah, the complete works of Anne Catherine Emmerich, and also uh, City Mystical City of God by Blessed Maria Vergreta. And I've read both of those, and it's um, almost 5,000 pages combined. Um, and I feel like I met the real Mary to a certain extent in those in those works. And in fact, one of the things that both of those works agree on that a lot of people don't know this is her birthday. They're they're both emphatic that she was born on September 8th, confirming you know what the what the church teaches. But um, I, I I will. I will be honest with you. We got a Christmas carol playing in the background here. Just <laughs> okay, I was wondering what that was. Um, uh, I, I'll try not to embarrass you by crying at every station that we go to in in in, uh, in Israel. But um, Steve, I'm so blessed that you came on and um, so so humbled. I've admired your work for a long, long time, and uh, I'm I'm glad that you came on with us. Uh, you will always be, to me, the original Catholic defender. Well, I qualify that the modern original. I'm not putting oh, you on the you. same. I'm not putting you on the same level as Justin Martyr, but that's the, yeah. modern, the modern original. And um, I can't wait to to finally meet you. And I'm sure we'll probably talk between now and next November. Uh, God bless you, and thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, John. It was good talking to you, and you as well, Richard. And it was a pleasure talking to you, Steve. And I just want to remind everybody, if you want to sponsor me to go to the Holy Land, I'll love you forever and bring you back a rosary. (laughs) Well, Well, if everybody can go to my website, it's catholicconvert.com. And from there, you can go to the pilgrimage site, too. That's kind of the one uh, website that covers everything, catholicconvert.com. And uh, I put up on their blogs every day about what's going on in Israel, what's going on in the Vatican. I put one up about the Vatican a couple of days ago um, and all about our family and about the pilgrimages. And I, and you can go on my website and you can view two-hour movies of every pilgrimage we've taken in the last 10 years, even Ireland and Poland and Guadalupe. You can watch two-hour videos of every single one of those probably 200 pilgrimages that uh, are on there. Well. Well, God bless, Steve. You have a wonderful week, and uh, I, we'll talk again. And, and, and like I said, next November can't get here fast enough for me. Okay. God bless you. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Right. And God bless you Bye. as well. Bye-bye.